For the evening talk, I would like to speak about the spiritual community, the community of women and men who are engaged in spiritual practice, spiritual work. And I would like to start by speaking a little bit about the the background to it, the contemporary historical background, and how that is, how I see that developing in the world that we live in, and include within the talk some comments on the value, on the enormous value of being with people with whom one shares uh, a spiritual commonality, a spiritual heritage and connection. Um, and I would just um, just like to put it in the uh, historical uh, perspective a little bit. Sometimes we speak of these kind of meditations and this kind of work as beginning in the East and coming to the West. And that's quite a useful way of describing. But we might ask, well, who says e what is East and who says what is West? You know, where is this East and West? So, well, I, the way I prefer to look at it is rather than going from there to and coming here, I would say that on the earth there is an earth wisdom. And this wisdom of the earth has been present through many, many generations. And it, the spirit of it has been and continues to be kept alive by people like ourselves and other people living in this world. And in the last <coughs> century, a number of scholars, uh, British and um, German scholars um, most, mostly, went to the East and became interested in some of the Eastern languages and what is referred to sometimes as the four Buddhist languages, which are Sanskrit, Pali, Tibetan, and Chinese. And this was a whole new field for learning and for knowledge. So they went around the various monasteries in these countries and began translating these very old texts. I quoted one in the talk yesterday evening. And for most of them, it was simply a whole new, exciting new area of scholarship. And for most of them, they didn't connect it with their lives at all. It was just translating what this venerated figure called the Buddha is supposed to have said, whose influence in Asia, once upon a time, extended right from Afghanistan, um, right from Kabul, right down to Bali, right through India, China, Korea, etc., through, through the whole continent. And 
but they just translated. And then, in the early part of this century, and in the 1920s, a number of people began to take an interest in the practical application. And most of that was kept very, very simple. It was kept to remembering the five precepts, which are not to kill, not to steal, not to engage in sexual abuse, not to tell lies, and not to take um, drugs which affect the balance of the mind. And so, in the initial period, what took place, 1920s, 1930s, 40s, mostly was the keeping of five precepts, the reading of some of these old texts which had been translated, um, um, a little meditation, a, little, uh, a few minutes here and there, some chanting, and a, a, and a small number of Westerners um, became, um, um, Western monks became monks in the East. And, um, and took ordination, and most of them engaged in more translation. And then, about in the last, in a way, in the last 20 years, much greater interest began to come out of the wisdom that could be found in some places in the East. And a number, a number of you in this room, and uh, myself, um, traveled to the East, became interested in the various uh, teachings, and came back to the West. And this center, Lama Zongkapa, here in um, Pumai, and other centers in the middle of the 1970s and the latter period of the 1970s began, began to open up all over America, especially, especially um, the, con the continent, uh, in England, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, and many centers began to be established, which ra now runs into hundreds. And one of the people in our community, John Snelling, um, who lives in the Sharpham community in Totnes, has just written and had published a directory of these, basically the Buddhist centers, which are available all, uh, all over the West. And nearly all of them have begun the last 10 or 15 years ago, uh, and rep in the last 10 or 15 years, in representing many different traditions. And in, in all of that which is taking place, what is occurring, more important than the centers, and more important than the, in a way, than the traditions, and more important than the teachers and the gurus, is the fact that thousands of women and men are engaged in spiritual work and spiritual practice and regard it as a very important part of their life. And their life would not feel appropriate without a spiritual awareness and inquiry, without finding some times in life for meditations, the life, the connection with like-minded people, the spiritual community. And a small illustration and example of this at the international level 
And all of this reminded me of some of a walk to the coffee shop in Pamai today, because I had some, a number of observations about uh, the village here, which I want to talk to you, because I think it touches on what I'm going talking about. I just, um, having just come back from uh, the States, friends on the west coast of the States spent two years looking for land near San Francisco. The price of land near, near San Francisco is just phenomenally high to buy land. To buy land um, and a large piece of land, it, it often runs into millions and millions of dollars and, and far too much for friends to afford. And they looked and looked for two years and, they f and then they got a phone call saying that the National Conservation Council in America had decided to sell 400 acres of beautiful land which once upon a time was occupied by the American Indians half an hour from San Francisco called Spirit Rock, very beautiful name. And this land they were willing to sell they were, and, they were going, and with the money they were going to buy tropical rainforest in South America to help protect the rainforest of South America. And then our friends on the west coast went to see them and they said, we think it would be wonderful if a retreat centre was built on this piece of land. So they bought this land. One of our friends gave half a million dollars as a single donation towards buying this piece of land. And the piece of land is, I don't know if you use this in Italy, but it's 400 acres. So this, all this whole area around here of um, the centre here, and the land goes quite down there and right down the hill and right down far over the side, runs to, I think, about 25 acres. So we're talking about a piece of land. I've walked on the land which runs at least from here to the other side of the village. That, that size piece of land. And they're now getting ready to establish this very large center and, uh, and facility there. And it will probably be one of the biggest centers you know, in California, which is famous as a spiritual supermarket. <laughs> so it, 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 ref it reflects both there and here and elsewhere. And one of the things which is occurring in this whole international um, um, movement which is taking place is how the, the international movement, and it shows itself in this retreat here with people from different places, is connecting and working and being together. And I think this is a very, very important and healthy organism. So once a year, some of the teachers of the insight meditation tradition, there's about 10, 15 um, teachers, a number of assistant teachers, we meet together. So once we met in Germany, once we met in Totnes, where I live, um, on the East Coast, where there's a, a big center there, and another on the, west, uh, on the West Coast of the States as well, 
And with the center on the east coast of the states, it used to be a Christian monastery. 80 acres of land, um, about 80 rooms in the place, so people have their, can have their own uh, room. Very large, uh, very large faci facility. The meditation hall is probably from here to the far end there, in its length, right to the very other end of the corridor. The, the, the land and the building, it was a Catholic monastery, was probably worth, in Massachusetts, about one and a half million dollars. This is when they bought it ten years ago. So friends rang up the, the abbot, this Roman Catholic priest and his committee of the particular church, and said what it was going to be used for as a meditation center, I mean, basically a Buddhist center, talked to them about it, the principles on, upon which it would be work. work. Instead of selling it, wanting one and a half million dollars for it, which they could have got if they'd sold it to a big company as a country house, they said, we'll take off the price 90% and let them have it for $150,000 instead of one and a half million. So it's extraordinary where there is a lot of care and love and, and goodness and, and spiritual uh, co commitment. There also things happen which one just can't explain these things, these things happening. And in the same way with us in Totnes, in which um, a few years ago I was just driving through the high street of Totnes, and I'd never been to the place, I hardly even heard of the place, but I drove up through this street and I said, I'm going to live here. And I'd moved from east of England to this town and we put out an appeal and friends sent in the money, we bought a, ret a retreat house, we had very few people on our mailing list and more than a hundred thousand dollars came in and then the community started and then a very good friend there, Morris Ash and his family supported a lot of the work taking place and then another farming community was established and it's just like when these spiritual things begin to take place it's like the wisdom of the earth and things which happen begin to give support and so as you and I take risks, spiritual risks in our life and sometimes we think well I can't do that or I I, I'm, I daren't let go of that, or I can't drop that, or whatever. As we take risk, and as we trust, and trust in life, and trust in ourselves, extraordinary things begin to happen for us, in quite, in quite, quite, quite wonderful ways. And this is all about trust, and the taking a step, and taking a risk. And I think the community, makes together that make it, it becomes possible and so uh, just on, as on the retreat a number of times I've said uh, in the small groups or in the one-to-one -one meetings you know are you willing to take the risk are you willing to let go are you willing to do something which you are afraid to do and 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 when we break through it opens the door up for us for something else something rather exciting and something challenging and there's and I think that the community keeps offering us that opportunity 
And so we're taking it out of the protection, of, in a way, of the monastery, which is a very important facility, but, and putting it right into our everyday life. And I think that sometimes with some of these spiritual practices, sometimes you know, there's a kind of seriousness which goes with it. But I think serious, to be serious, must also be with joy and happiness. The, the, two, the two must go together. And sometimes one's image, you know, of meditators and practice and spiritual work, like a very serious work. And it does require seriousness, but it needs the balance, it needs the, the lightness and the joy to go with it. And it, it's that harmony of joy and, uh, and seriousness. And sometimes one sees, sometimes in a monkhood, in the monasteries, one sees some monks who are very serious and they, and they, they miss seeing things, they miss seeing beauty. And I think beauty is a very beautiful spiritual experience. And it kind of reminds me of an old story which amongst the monks has gone from one generation to another. And it's a, it's a kind of a joke and it's serious. And it was of two monks who were um, in Sri Lanka. And they were very serious, they are doing their serious meditation. And in the, doing their walking meditation, this is 1500 years ago. <laughs> nothing changes, you know, it's, life is, nothing changes. And these two monks were doing their walking meditation and, um, and going on the begging round, past the rice paddies, past the jungle, along the country path to the, the farmhouses to collect their food with the begging bowl. And while walking uh, along the path, this very beautiful woman came running by and um, laughing and running, and running down, down the road. And so these two monks, they just carried on um, walking. And about five minutes later, this young guy came running down the road, um, following, running after this young woman. And he turned to the two monks and he said, Hey, did you just see a beautiful woman go by? And this rather serious monk looked up at him and said, All I saw go by was a set of teeth. And, and that, to me, I think it's a pity that that's, that's all he could see <laughs> was some teeth go by. <laughs> and, I, it's, and I think sometimes that kind of seriousness, is it, in a way, um, misses the, the, the beauty. And certainly a set of teeth went by, <laughs> wouldn't say. <laughs> but I think there's more to life than a set of teeth. So sometimes... In that the, the, the seriousness and the humour, and the thing is with that story, it's gone in the monasteries, it, it's gone for 1500 years. You know, every monastery repeats this story. I don't <laughs> and I much preferred the attitude, in terms of that, of one of the monks who was teaching in the monastery where I was. And we would have question and answer sessions and things like that. So one of the young monks, because when you go in the begging round, one of the rules of the monks is that you don't, um, uh, that you keep your eyes 
um, down. You don't look um, uh, around you. So you walk in a very meditative way and you just walk the eyes going down just to see where you are, are going. And then when you reach, say, the farmhouse or whatever, then you just, you just stand there for about five seconds. And if somebody hasn't come out of the house to give, put the food in the begging bowl, then you just carry on walking to the next place. So they always know when the monks are coming. So in the years of being a monk, I um, um, go on the round each, uh, each morning. So <laughs> one of the young monks said to this um, the senior monk, he said, when I am walking and sometimes a young woman in the house comes out of the farmhouse and she's wearing her blouse and her sarong, which women wear, he says, sometimes as I'm walking there, he said, I can just see her ankles. He said, should I keep looking or should I, should I turn my eyes away? <laughs> You know, monks take things some just like. So this, I like, the, the senior monk said, <laughs> I thought he had a very healthy attitude. He said, um, um, have a good look, but make sure she doesn't see you. <laughs> <laughs> and I like this kind of uh, um, uh, spirit. And in coming from the kind of monastic tradition and uh, monastic... Uh, set up. There's coming about so much change and it, in a way it requires many new awarenesses, many new challenges to be able to integrate all of this kind of work into the city, into the job, into the relationship with a lover, into being with children or whatever. And, and there's many challenges there. And one, one of the um, students, Western students, um, he said to uh, um, Suzuki Roshi, who was uh, one of those who brought the practice of Zen to uh, America some 20 years ago. He said to, uh, he said to Suzuki Roshi, he said, um, Roshi, he said, um, how... Um, how can I um, encourage um, my children to practice meditation and to lead the spirit and to, to be interested and to explore the spiritual life? How can I encourage my children to do that? And, this is a, and uh, Suzuki Roshi, Roshi said to him, very, very quick Zen mind, he, he said to him, behave just like your parents. <laughs> <laughs> that was a wonderful reply. <laughs> oh dear. So, in Dharma teachings and in uh, um, uh, looking at things, sometimes we, 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 we want the, 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 the logical way, we want the, 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 the sensible way. And there's a, a long-standing tradition in spirituality and especially in Buddhism to its great credit. It's a very beautiful thing about in Buddhism and the tradition of that is that you can't be a heretic. You, you can't actually say anything which um, is considered 
um, dangerous or damaging in, spirit, in spirituality. You know, so, you know, I mean, there are serious people of practice, and there are, including monks and nuns, who say, well, um, I don't know if the Buddha existed. I don't know, that could just be a, a, a story. It could have been just all written down on paper. I don't know if he existed. And the view is of anyone who does spiritual work in some, with some influence, at least by the Buddhism, Buddhist tradition, say, well, never mind, who cares if he lives or not? It's history, it doesn't matter. Or someone else say, I don't know if there's nirvana or, or whatever, I'm not sure if I believe in nirvana. No, never mind. I don't know if there's, if there's really karma and if there's rebirth. Well, never mind. You can't really say anything which, no, which people worry about. And uh, so there's, so, and even like the Zen masters would, would say, if you walk along the road and you see the Buddha, kill him. And it's just, it, there's, there's no, uh, there's a, an irreligious spirit in the religious life. And I think it's a very, very, very beautiful thing that there's plenty of lightness and humour. And certainly in monasticism, there's a background to that. When the community would meet together, and we would have chanting once a week, and the senior monks would sit in the front row, and then in the monks, the more junior monks behind, and, uh, and it would go like that. And once a week we do chanting, and one of the rules is, in the monastery where we were, that you didn't use a chanting book. You had to remember it. And the chanting would be for about half an hour, mostly to please the lay people who, uh, who came. And quite often, it would often happen that somewhere in the middle of this chanting, you know, as monks, we, we would forget it. And then one monk would think he remembered, another didn't. And in the end, everybody was just there, and all the senior monks, you could see them shaking with laughter. <laughs> and, and, nobody, and everybody's just laughing, you know, while d trying to get this chanting together. And the lay people would be laughing, and the abbot, the, the meditation teacher, would be laughing. You know, I mean, I went to a Catholic church, I must say, <laughs> nobody ever laughed. In, in, you, hymns were serious. And, 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 and I think this spirit of lightness and seriousness is very, very important. Too much lightness is not appropriate. Too much serious is not appropriate. And that long-standing tradition there of middle way, real middle way between uh, these two. Then in the community and in the contact with uh, spiritually-minded people, I think one of the very, very important things which one always has to watch for and very, very watchful for, and that is the comparing and judging mind. How very, very easily we compare and judge. And when we compare and judge and we repeat what we compare, we repeat what we, what we judge, it begins, it's the beginning of sectarianism. It's the beginning of saying this against that. And this separateness, this sectarianism is, is, is a nightmare. It, it's, so, it's so unsatisfactory. And so 
in any spiritual teaching, any spiritual teaching for justice, for peace, for awareness, for wisdom, one of the things we watch for, for, very watchful for, is speech, is what we say. And in what we say, you know, are we setting up one thing um, against another? And it, it very, very easily happens. And, and I think like for many of you here, who in your daily life are in positions of authority. You're in positions of authority as a teacher, you're in positions of authority as working in the school or working in a hospital or you have a particular profession or a particular skill and so you have a particular expertise in your particular field. And because you have that expertise and because you have that knowledge and therefore you have a particular role it means that what you say it like it carries weight to it and people listen and then people say well she says that and or he says that and it, and the reason is that people quote you because they feel you're an authority and I have noticed on many many times how one has just said something almost rather lightly and how easily it's got repeated because, well, Christopher said and it doesn't matter what Christopher says but it goes, Christopher, because he is a, a Dharma teacher he's a, a meditation teacher, he's a, a peace worker or whatever and, and then this, and it gets repeated so in spiritual life just as here we observe with as much care as we can our thought, we see that thought and speech are... Speech is basically thought which is spoken. Thought made manifest in the world. And it takes a lot of skill and, and learning and listening to see what kind of attitude we have, what kind of spirit we generate. And in the old Sanskrit tradition um, and in the inquiry that takes place and in some of the recorded texts there, what contributes to balance of mind and to some clarity is the balance in which it's very necessary in life for the spiritual community to be critical. I think criticism, the use of our intellect and our intelligence and the observation is very, very important. But it needs the balance of um, a sympathetic awareness, a, a concern, the feeling of affection for. So we can be critical and we can feel affection simultaneously. We can be critical but we can understand the problem that is there. And so there's a, the heart and the criticism um, really work, work together. And that must include all types of people. That must include political leaders, that must include, include corrupt gurus, it must be in, in, uh, include narrow-mindedness and the fundamentalist sects who will say, well, what we're doing, it's, as someone has, some have told me from time to time, 
um, what you're doing is the work of, of Satan. It's the work of the devil. You know, this, and, and you will go to hell and you will go to the deepest place of hell because you're leading people astray because only Jesus saves and all the rest is the work of the devil. And sometimes it's hard to feel love for people when they, when they, when they say things like that. And so, again, there's criticism and concern, but some feeling of some connectedness, even when people judge us, we would say very unfairly, sometimes very harshly and very, very cruelly, and just not re realized. So, the, and the other thing which is very important here, um, and that is self-criticism. And it's different from judging ourselves. You know when we judge ourselves, we, oh, you're, you're no good, this is no good, I'm no good, etc. Self-criticism is both of the community. And, we, and teachers need criticism. It's important that teachers receive, receive feedback. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it comes on retreats. Sometimes it comes after retreats. Sometimes it comes in a, a letter or in a phone call or whatever. Teachers need to keep working on themselves, obviously. And, and the community needs to explore each other. And just as the Buddha said two and a half thousand years, years ago, a good friend is not somebody who just flatters us and says, oh, what a nice person, you're so wise, you're so compassionate, you're such a bodhisattva, you're this, you're that. Uh, a good friend is one who is honest. Who is honest with what? With feedback, with honest in communication. That's, that's a good friend. And in that, the community can be, all of us, can be a very good friend to each other. And that, that seems to me contributes to a very healthy organism. And it contributes to trust. So let me talk about Pamai while I'm here. Um, among the many reasons which I like um, coming to um, um, here to Pamai, and one of them is that there is a, a, a coffee shop and um, my idea of, um, what should I say, um, uh, real pleasure uh, in life, I, would I think I would put it near the top of a list of pleasures, um, is to um, go to um, a coffee shop, either uh, alone or with a friend, and have um, um, a nice uh, cappuccino. Um, and if I go with uh, a friend to talk about anything except meditation, retreats, <laughs> my personal history, politics, peace, social issues, if we don't talk about any of those things, not a single word, nothing, nothing about anything like that, then I'm very happy to go with somebody <laughs> and have cappuccino and talk together. And this is my idea of great pleasure. So. Each day, because I can't really go with any of you, so each day I've gone alone up, to, up there for a few minutes to have a, a cappuccino. 
and um, I uh, pick up the, uh, uh, the UNITA, the uh, newspaper, and uh, have a look at the um, newspaper and see if I can find another Italian word I understand, <laughs> and uh, spend 10 or 15 minutes up there. And what I really appreciate, and I would like to organize, if I had, whatever, the possibility, I would organize big trips to that <laughs> coffee shop for people from all over the West. Because when you go to that place up there, it's, there's always life up there. And the men are there talking and, and drinking espresso and watching the football on the TV and the women there are there up there and they're gossiping away, etc., etc. And I was sitting there and just feeling this life because other villages, you go in the US and in, and in England, it's, it's like going to a mortuary. In, it, it's so dead there. Nobody comes out of their houses anymore. And they just live in the, there. But there, that life is all going on out in, in this village. And, then I, and when I went up there today, something which really, I really enjoyed to see, this feeling of sense of community there. The, when they got out of the car to go, they come from the fields or wherever, they got out of the car, they just shut the door, the car door, and walked in, and I was really impressed. I thought, my God, these people, they don't even bother to lock their car here. Such lovely trust. And then I walked past these cars, and not only do they not lock their car, the key's still in the car. <laughs> I mean, this, I thought, this, this, is this, this is what living should be about. That sense of community, and hanging out, and uh, enjoying, the, enjoying the day and knowing that you can leave your car door unlocked <laughs> and you can leave the key in the car and you can feel the trust is, is there. And I think something of that s spirit, as I say, if I had my way, instead of everybody going off to the Costa Fortune in Spain or wherever, you know, these expensive holidays, I'd have all oh, these millions of pilgrims who go to see... Uh, I hope that the Pope will pop his head out of the window and say, Hi! Inste that, that instead they, will <laughs> they should come to Pamai and, and this be the major pilgrimage center of, uh, of the Western life. And, and I think the, the spiritual community and uh, being together with the trust and the faith and love and uh, affection and appreciation is a very profound and a, a very deep message for society. And then what, when we live in this, we kind of just take it for granted and we enjoy the contact and the love with each other. But it's such a very beautiful thing to, to uh, be taking place. And, and, it, and it, it's something which, if there's a real open heart, and an open mind, and we're not dogmatic, and we're not sectarian, and we're not concerned about, anyway, about Buddhism, and we're not concerned what's the right view, and the right path, and the right meditation. We're not just, if we're not clinging and holding and attaching anywhere. So there's a very spacious sense with it, with humor and seriousness. I think all of that's lovely communication. The very beautiful message for us uh, for
for, for each one of us and a very beautiful message for society. And all, all of us, all of us here, and many other friends in uh, different parts of the world can and are helping to make this uh, happen. It's a, a spirituality which is uh, deep and profound, which has a, a, a real ethical basis to it, in which there's a great deal of deep psychological insights into the processes, into the movements of mind, and the way the mind forms itself, and how it expresses, and how it conditions of mind change, and the experiences dissolve. And there's a very deep message in life about our relationship, not only to people, but the relationship to planet, and what it means to be in this world, and, and the coexistence, the dynamic of it. And it's a spirituality which is free to explore, to understand the religious texts of many different religions, and not just say, this is the way, but to explore have appreciation of many other religions and other, other teachings. And so a spirituality which is broad and deep, profound and beautiful, with that sustained message of liberation, human beings' birthright for liberation in life, with wisdom and compassion as the expressions of it. I think that's a very lovely communication for, not only for humankind, but a very beautiful communication for sentient kind as, as well. And so these days that we've been here together and spending time together keeps the, the, the spirit of that alive. And the person who drives up in his or her car up to the, the coffee shop for his espresso or cappuccino, he expresses a very lovely trust as well. And I, I think that's to be appreciated and to feel a sense of lovely solidarity with uh, such people and such places. And uh, long may all these things keep occurring in the world. <coughs> may all beings be in contact with like-minded people. May all beings explore the depths of the spiritual life. May all beings live with wisdom and compassion. Let's have a quiet minute together, shall we? Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.